Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. So, before we start uh, tonight, um, we, we know uh, of Jesus' 12 disciples. We know four really well. Uh, Jesus' inner circle, uh, Peter, and, uh, Peter, James, and John, uh, which we tend to because we know the song Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Um, but we know Peter, James, and John pretty well, and we know Judas well. Judas the fourth one that we know well because he's the one who betrayed Jesus. But beyond those four, what disciple of Jesus, uh, what, what name do we hear probably more than any other? Thomas, right? And the hint is on the screen, obviously, right? Um, Doubting Thomas. We know him because he is known as Doubting. Um, now, I have a problem with both um, calling him Doubting Thomas, um, but I also have a problem with the way we think about the word doubt, because uh, we're going to be talking about doubt tonight before we, we, we're going to sing after this, and then I'm going to come back up and teach, but, but I really think we need to address a couple things first before we enter into, kind of, enter into the substance of tonight. But let me, um, let me take you um, to why we call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now, when we hear that word, that English word, believe, what we, what we think about is, that's my bad, Josh, I keep, I'll let it be. Uh, when we think about the, the English word belief, we think of the idea of mental assent, right? That we believe that something happened. That we believe that something happened, right? You know, like, I believe in the resurrection. We think that, you know, he's just like, oh, I don't believe that the resurrection actually happened. That's what we think he's saying. But it's not what he's saying. He's like, I don't know. This is what he's saying. This is what doubt really is for a Jewish mindset. Because, by the way, we live post-enlightenment, Right? We think of everything in scientific terms, right? So you need to prove to me the existence of something, or you need to do this, you know, I need to see A so I can believe B. But that's not the way they thought. And they say, he says, I won't believe. What he's saying is, I can't put my life on the line for this yet. This guy died. And if I keep following him, I know that I'm probably going to die too. And I'm not there. All right. Now, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You can die for this because I am raised. And Thomas doesn't say, I give you my mental assent. This did happen. You are actually resurrected. No, 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 no. He gets it. He believes. He says, my Lord and my God. That's belief. It's a willingness to put your life on the line for something. And so doubt is, is not just this idea of like, you know, awe, oh, you know, the scientific you know, oh, can I believe in creation? Or, oh, can I believe in, in the resurrection? It's not that. It's very American of us to ask. It's very post-enlightenment of us to ask. It'd be very Jewish of us to say, are we willing to put our life on the line for something? 
So that's my problem with the word doubting. But here's my problem with us calling Thomas doubting Thomas. You see, Thomas was not defined by this moment. I don't believe yet. It's not what defines Thomas. In fact, though Thomas was afraid, though Thomas was scared, though he was confused, though he was full of doubt, Christian history actually tells us that Thomas took the gospel all the way to India, further than any of the other 11 disciples right after Judas. And he didn't just take it all the way to India, but as he was witnessing to the resurrected Lord Jesus there, he died and was killed because he wouldn't stop. Fear and doubt and confusion, these are, these are all things that I think you might be feeling now in the midst of pandemic school, as you think about entering a workforce that is um, pretty depleted and, and, and tumultuous because of the pandemic, as you think about your future and what God wants you to do with it, fear, doubt, confusion, all things you might be feeling. But I want you to hear this as we begin tonight. Fear and doubt and confusion are not obstacles to being commissioned by Jesus, but rather for Jesus and his disciples, those who bear his name and follow his way. Being commissioned is the cure for fear and doubt and confusion. It is not a prerequisite that you have unadulterated faith to be commissioned by Jesus. He sends those who still doubt so that they might come to believe and know him. So tonight as we think about this, come with all your fears, come with all your doubts, come with all your confusion, bring it to the Lord and see what he does. This is the Great Commission, uh, what we know is it at least. Um, we're going to get to, to the ending of the book of Mark at the very end. Uh, but Matthew and Luke and John all have these really awesome kind of, kind of closings to their gospel. I marked this too, but it's a little bit different. Thank you. Um, um, could you all hear me what I was saying before, though? I'm, I'm, I'm a loud mouth. So, um, so uh, but they all have... Uh, these just great kind of commissionings at the end, these beautiful texts that, that speak about all nations. And, and just as the Father sent me, so I send you. That's from, from the Gospel of John. But let, let, let's read them. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been invested into me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all uh, to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, the very end of the age, right? There's a reason we call that the Great Commission, right? It is, it is an awesome closing to the story of Jesus, right? Um, it, it talks about the, to, the, to the ends of the earth, right? It really is this cataclysmic, awesome, dramatic kind of climax to the story. Um, again, uh, this is from... Um, John uh, 20, and this one's a lot more intimate, but it's really beautiful. I love this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you, right? I mean, it's just this beautiful, you are going to get caught up in my mission for the world. And that, uh, and with that, he breathed on them, right? Which is actually imagery from the Garden of Eden, right? What does God do after he forms Adam and Eve, right? He breathes on them and gives them life, right? I'm sending you 
And by sending you, I am giving you life and life to the full, right? Um, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Think about the power that's being bestowed upon these uh, 11 disciples. Right? This, is a, this is a beautiful and powerful thing. Uh, Luke, as in, in, in chapter 24, uh, verses 45 through 49, then he, he opened the door. I mean, he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures, right? Uh, basically, he's interpreting the Old Testament for them. It says, by the way, that was all about me. Um, this is what is written. The Messiah was suffered and rise from the dead. And on the third day, and uh, on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. It was right to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, right? And we know Luke is part two to the book of, I mean, Acts is part two to the book of yeah, Luke. And, and so that's what, you know, that's what we, we saw that. We looked at that the past two weeks, Luke uh, eight, uh, one, one through eight. Um, but uh, you are my witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you uh, what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high, right? I mean, it's these dramatic things, right? With the sending of the Holy Spirit and all power being invested into these 12. But these, as great and as grand and as beautiful as these commissions are, the context for each and every single one of them is confusion and fear and doubt. The context for every single one of these beautiful commissions, grand and great commissions, is confusion and fear and doubt. And by the way, if you're a disciple, you would be so confused, you'd be so full of doubt, and you would be so fearful, right? The guy you followed for three years died. And for the first time in your whole life, one of your friends who died got brought back to life. It's very confusing. It's right in this beautiful thing that we call the Great Commission, but it's right before that. In chapter, uh, chapter 28, verse 16 and 17, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, right, they saw the resurrected Lord. They were like, I still don't know if I want to. Remember what doubt really is. I don't know if I want to give up my life for this thing. They saw him. They worshipped him, but some doubted. <laughs> they still were like, I don't know. Like, this guy died. That means I'm probably going to die, too, if I do what he tells me to do next. This is the Gospel of John, right at the end. And right before, Jesus says this beautiful thing, right? Peace be with you. Just as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. These are the guys that just killed Jesus. We would have the doors locked too. Jesus came and stood among them, which, by the way, they make it seem like he just kind of like apparated, right? So if you've seen Harry Potter, right? They, you know, they apparate and they just appear. Like that's what they make it feel like, the writers do. Just, he just starts, he just pops up, which, by the way, is spooky. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Because he knows that they need it, right? He knows that they're troubled. He knows that they're confused. He knows that they're full of doubt and fear, which, by the way, we would be too. This awesome thing, right? You know, you're going to preach his name to all the nations. Right? Before we get to that, what's the context of that moment? Well, they were still talking about this. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. This is from the Gospel of Luke. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do you still have doubts in your minds? Well, I mean, if you're a disciple, well, Jesus, let, let's walk through it. Uh, one, you just died. Two, you just raised from the dead. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm a little confused here, right? I think one of the great truths of Scripture 
and I mean this, is that we find and sustain our identity in God by participating in his mission. Right? If you are, are seeking and searching for your identity in Christ, if you feel like your identity is not in Christ, and you want to put yourself in Christ, and you want to find your identity in who God is, well, the best way to do that is what I think all this is telling us, is to go participate in his mission. And you're gonna to get to know God in ways you never have before. You are gonna root your identity in Christ in a way you never have before. You think back, um, it was the third lesson of this series, but it's the first commission we looked at, it's just chapter one. And the first thing we talked about, we looked at it through the lens of God, and, and, and what is one of the attributes of God? That he is what? Starts with an M, missional. So we've been talking about all semester. If God's a missional God, right? Uh, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, right? Jesus is the epitome of a, of a missional God. He is both sent and himself sending. If God's a missional God, it would make sense that we would meet him where he's already at, right? And if God's a missional God, where, where is he? Well, he's out in the world, redeeming and restoring and reconciling all things to himself. We want to meet God. We want to get to know God in new ways that we never got to know God before. What are we going to need to do? We're going to need to hear those commissions. And we're going to need to get involved. We're going to need to get engaged. We're going to need to get into the nitty-gritty of other people's lives and see where God is already working. And in doing so, we will come to know God in extraordinary and beautiful and amazing and dramatic ways. Jesus gives these uh, commissions, right, to, to a group of, of terrified people, a group of people who were extremely confused at what was going on. The leader was dead, and now he's alive, and he's saying these really crazy things, and he's doing so just as he operates in and out of rooms. So yes, these, these commissions of Jesus, right, we've been really focusing on the kind of outward effect of them, right, that you know, we've talked a lot about the idea of being a kingdom of priests, that we're supposed to, we're supposed to go serve the city, right? That we're going to supposed to, to seek the shalom of campus, that we're supposed to, to, to bring order to the chaos around us. Yes, these commissions of, of Jesus are inviting his disciples to do that, right? To witness to his rule over the nations, to the nations. But in all of these commissions, what Jesus is also doing is inviting them to witness to themselves by witnessing to others. To come to know him in a deep and profound way by doing what God does. And I don't think we see this any more clearly than in the passage Bailey read for us. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 13, right? The vision of God in the Old Testament uh, is that the nations would come to know him and worship him as Lord over the whole of the universe by interacting with and coming to know his people, right, Israel. That there would be a kingdom of priests that would bring order to chaos amongst the nations. But by the time of Isaiah 43, they had utterly failed at this, right? The kings of Israel had just utterly failed. Israel and, and, and Judah had split from the north and the south. Assyria had come in and taken the northern tribes, and they never returned. Babylon comes in and takes over Assyria, therefore they actually never return. And the tribes of Judah are left, and their kings are terrible, and Babylon takes them into captivity. 
And Isaiah 43 comes around the time where this captivity is about to come to a close. And into this strife and into this struggle, Isaiah speaks of a courtroom. That's what Bailey was reading for us. In which God gathers the nations. If you remember the imagery that was playing out as she read, God gathers the nations into this room. And then he gathers Israel up out of captivity. And this is what he says. Lead those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. He's speaking about Israel. Right? You have the ability. You have eyes and you have ears, but you are blind and deaf. You have the ability to recognize me as Lord and Savior of the entire world and of your life, but you are blind and deaf by your own choice. You choose not to recognize that. A.K.A. they have doubt, right? Unadulterated doubt. They don't know if they're willing to put their life on the line for this Yahweh. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things, right? The things that have passed. They have false idols, false gods. Let them bring their witnesses to prove they were right. So that others may hear and say it is true. Here's where it gets interesting. Verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. So that, not so that the nations may come to know me as Lord and Savior. No, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. You have adulterated yourself with the idols and the gods of other peoples, of other nations. And therefore you've been enslaved physically to them. Your spiritual bondage has brought you into physical bondage. And so I'm choosing you. I'm going to enter in and I'm going to commission you in the midst of all your doubt, in the midst of your not trusting me, in the midst of your unfaithfulness. I'm choosing you to be my witness so that you may come to know me and understand who I am. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there ever be one after. So you may come to know that truth and the security that can only be found in that truth. That's why we're sent. It's through participating in God's mission that we come to understand who God really is. So if you're feeling spiritually dry, if you're in a slump, if you are crippled by fear, fear of the future, Fear of not finding a significant other in college, fear of, of not getting the good grades that you need in this finals week, fear of the pandemic. You are riddled with doubt, real doubt. The idea that you don't know if you really want to become someone who doesn't get to participate in the things of culture because you've committed yourself to Jesus. You don't know if you want to put your life on the line for this guy. If you don't know God's plans for you and that absolutely scares the heck out of you. Like we've talked about, you're about to, if you're entering the workforce, it's a really weird workforce center. You are stuck in sin. You are addicted to something. There's a lot of addictions. If you are just, I think we all may be here, worn out, worn down by this long but also short semester. Isaiah 43 is telling us, if you want to remedy any of that, look at where God is going. See this missional God and go participate in what he's doing. 
Allow God. You know, you have all this doubt and confusion and fear, and you're like, how are you going to remedy that? What's the cure? Isaiah 43 tells us, go be commissioned. Live the commission life that we've signed up for as Christians. See what God's doing and go participate in it. And you're going to get to know him in ways that you've never got to know God before. Tell someone about Jesus and you'll meet Jesus. Witness to your roommate or your classmate about what the Holy Spirit has been doing in your life. You know, if we do charisma, it's like, what is God teaching you? That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Tell your roommate, your classmate about what God's been teaching you. And guess what? You're going to find that you've met the Holy Spirit in a way that you've never met him before. Go out and serve the least and the last and the lost and the lonely of our community, and you're going to find out that in so doing, you're meeting the Father. Matthew 25. Verses 31 through 40. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger invite you in or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. You want to meet God. You want to find the security of Jesus as your Lord and Savior that, 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 that nothing can shake you anymore, right? That the, the, the waves of this world will not toss you to and fro. If you want that, which I, by the way, I hope you do. If you want to experience life and life to the full, go out and serve somebody. And that's where you're going to meet God, because that's what God already is. When I think about um, my college experience, um, this photo really comes to mind. Uh, this is in um, Ridgecrest, which was the, the kind of housing projects of Auburn. Um, that was Mary Beth back in college, freshman year. I didn't tell her I was going to use this photo. She's probably upset with me. When I think about college, and I think about the times that I really encountered God, and I think about the times and the ways that I really met God and experienced him, yes, I think about times like these where uh, my dad was my campus minister, and he was just this amazing teacher. And I think about times like that. I think about experiencing God in those ways. And I think about meeting God and learning about him in those ways. But the reason my dad was such a good teacher is because he always, I mean, always pushed us out into the world. It wasn't in his teaching that I met God. It's what his teaching compelled me to go do that I met God. And it was going to serve. I'd spend probably about four, um, four out of my afternoons a week out in, in the projects of Auburn. Uh, tutoring kids, meeting with kids, playing with kids, meeting, meeting their parents, finding them in church, giving, giving rides. Um, uh, when I think about college, I also think about a lot of the international friends that we got to meet, people like Matthias, um, and learning from different cultures, people who are often marginalized, right? Uh, you're in a new world, right? <laughs> um, when I think about college, I think about meeting God. It, it's these moments, right? If you've ever been on a mission trip, and, and short-term missions, there's uh, some, you know, some qualms with, with the way they're done sometimes, but but if you think about it, right, if you think about some of your, your, your most meaningful moments in which you meet God, 
is probably, if you've been on a mission trip, that's one of them, right? Because it's, we meet God where he's at. And God has told us where he's at. He's with the least last lost moment. If you want to meet God, if you want to grow deeper in your faith, if you want to rid yourself of the fear and doubt and confusion that you're riddled with, look at where God's at. He's told us. And go serve alongside him. Go participate in his mission. Let me, um, let me close our semester this way. Um, with the ending of the gospel of Mark. Now, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Mark 16. If you have your phone, too. Um, if you'll look... Mark 16, you'll see one through eight, and then you're probably going to see some sort of notation after eight, in between the chapter, uh, verse eight and verse nine. Uh, mine reads this. The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses nine through 20. Now that is uh, uh, a whole host of things that we could talk about, but let me just put it this way. There are three possible endings to the book of Mark. Uh, you have what you see in front of you, Mark nine through 20. Uh, there's a shorter ending to it that uh, is probably in your footnotes. So you'll see a letter. You go down to the bottom of the chapter, you're going to see this shorter ending. And uh, the other option is that Mark, the book of Mark, actually ends at verse 8, which, by the way, uh, ends with the Greek word gar, which is like four or sense. And so it literally ends possibly in the middle of a sentence. Uh, Mark 16, uh, 9 through 20, uh, Jesus comes and he gives this great commission kind of thing, like the ones we, we started out with. Uh, and it ends like this. It's verse nine, picking on verse 19. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat right hand of God, and the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord uh, worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs accompanied with it. Right? I mean, just bear, it's, it ties a nice little neat bow at it. You know, everything ends up and works out the way it's supposed to. All right, the shorter um, version, uh, which would just kind of go after verse 8, so this would replace 9 through 20, uh, reads this. Uh, then they quickly reported all the instructions. This is the woman had received instructions from an angel, the Lord, to go tell Peter something, right? To go tell Peter about the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, then they quickly reported all these things and instructions to those around Peter. After this, Jesus himself also sent uh, through them from east to west the sacred and perishable proclamation of eternal salvation, and then closes with what, how we know to close prayers. Amen. Yet again, a nice and a neat bow. But the best scholarship would tell us that it is not 9 through 20, and that it is not this shorter ending that actually brings us to the close in the Gospel of Mark, that it's actually verse 8. A sentence that isn't finished. It isn't a neat bow. Both of these other ones have these nice bows, but the most likely one probably doesn't. As they entered the tomb, these are the women who went to, to, to bring spices uh, to Jesus' body so that as it decayed, it would not stink to high heaven, for lack of a better term. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. And again, alarmed, confusion, fear, doubt. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He was crucified. 
he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, confusion, fear, doubt, not knowing if they wanted to risk their lives for this thing. The woman went out, they fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid for. Even in our English translation of this, we have to create a neat little bow. And so we say they were afraid, but it's they were afraid for. In the midst of the fear and the confusion and the doubt, Mark puts his readers, he puts us, me and you, into the middle of the story. We get to pick up. I think this is genuinely the intention of Mark doing this. We get to pick up where the woman left off. They were confused, they were afraid, but what's the cure for fear and confusion and doubt? God's mission. What Mark's closing with is, you've got the risen Lord Jesus. And so the question that we end our semester is, with is, what are we going to do with it? I hope you've encountered Jesus this year. I hope you've encountered Jesus on this campus. I hope you've encountered Jesus in this room through, through the times that we've worshipped, through, through just interactions with each other, through, through, through studying his word. I hope you've encountered Jesus. But the question that we have to, have to, to close with this semester with is, well, so what? What are we going to do with them? Jesus is Lord, right? My Lord and my God, what are you going to do with them? Are we going to be like Thomas and take him all the way to India and give up our whole life for him? Are we going to say, no, I, instead of being commissioned, I'm going to let this doubt and fear and confusion become the defining factor in my life. I'm going to let it tell me that I'm not good enough to go out and participate in God's work. I'm going to sit in it. not do anything with it. That's what Mark's forcing us to do. He brings us to a decision point. He brings us to a crisis. What are we going to do with Jesus? When you go home for the break, or you stay in town, what are you going to do with Jesus? You've met him. You've encountered him. You're going to take the opportunity to meet him in ways you never have before encounter him in ways you never have before and experience him in ways you never have before by allowing him to commission you in your home or still here are you going to get engaged the least last lost and lonely of these are you going to allow yourself to to encounter the holy spirit by telling your parents about how how jesus has changed your life this semester he's risen but what are we going to do with him